When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 248 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas. What a time to take a break, Frances, from the show. Should we wager who will say something negative today first? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I don't really know what rundown you've got ready. Um, hola, Cules, obviously, first of all. And uh, I'm really excited to see, to see what's coming because, you know, over the last week, nothing much has happened. So I've got no idea why I'm here. Yeah, plenty of positivity. I think that's what, of course, we're alluding to, being a little sarcastic to start the show. Let me see if I can get all in here, Frances. Two wins over Sevilla, including the comeback necessary to make the Copa final. A win over Osasuna with a terrific goal from Ies Mariba. Two more wins, including a comeback from Barca B. Two more wins for Barca Femini. One in the Champions League and one in the league. Happy International Women's Day, by the way. And oh yeah, Barca have a new president as well. There is no possible way unless we do a three-hour show that we could fit everything in here today. So that's why I enlisted the help of La Ronda, of course, that's our closed Facebook listener group, to guide us on our path and figuring out what listening or what listeners wanted to hear about. I know your teachers say do it in chronological order. And Frances, being a, uh, a, an academic yourself, chronological order, that's the way they want it. But we're going to throw that out the window for today's podcast. And starting with Juan Laporta, that's where we're going to start with the new old president. And since the last time Frances was on the show, I know it's felt like since, last, since Laporta's last time in charge. <laughs> it's only been about a week and a half. But the <laughs> former president was also arrested. He's out of jail. He voted and all that stuff. But we're not going to focus on Bartomeu. We're putting that in a rearview mirror because we're going to start with Juan Laporta. 
And that's where the majority of our listener questions came from as well. I should have expected that, that the most pressing and the most urgent and the most recent thing was going to be the thing where they had questions about. And Frances, I think where we're going to start is where the aggregators and the, the guys who click and share and want to hear from us, we're going to start with Messi's future. And Richard Buxton in our listener group asked, can we read anything into the fact that Messi chose to vote in this election for the first time? Can we read anything? Yeah, we can read into the fact that it was the first time he's been a saucy for 20 years. He signed for Barca. He played his first match for Barca 20 years ago yesterday for the, for the first time. Um, he's a saucy. He's someone who knows the club inside out. He's the best player to ever play for the club. And obviously, he's the best player to ever play football, full stop. So the fact that someone of that caliber is involved with the day-to-day of the club and not just the day-to-day here and now, but also the future of the club is always going to be good news. Um, if he was voting for Font or Freixa or Laporta, I don't think we'll ever know. I think it's quite clear that he's very close to Laporta, though. So that probably was his choice. But I think that the fact that he cares for what the future of the club will be can only be good news. Um, he still needs to decide whether he will be part of that future. I mean, let's not forget that he's a free agent now already. So he could be signing for PSG, Manchester City, whoever, tomorrow morning if he wanted. Doesn't look like he's going to do that. He's going to probably see a little bit more of games out of the season, speak to Laporta inside out in terms of what his long-term project is, um, in terms of whether Kuman stays, whether he brings anybody else just to see who goes to the sporting director, et cetera, who is going to basically going to be surrounded by if he decides to stay. Um, obviously, if he does want to stay, then I think that they need to talk about that contract. Um, let's just let's just call a spade a spade. The contract that Messi has is insanely high for, in my opinion, someone who's 34 years old and someone who, you know, if the hearing is for, say, two years, he will be 36 at the end of that. There's a lot of games there's a lot of cups there's a lot of trophies that Messi has conquered and lifted but obviously he's not ever going to be able to defeat father time so I think that you know that wage to be honest there's a lot of ways to call it but the money that he gets paid the salary that he gets um, I don't think that is in line to what the market value of of Messi is today Uh, this is not to take away anything that Messi has ever done but I think that one of the main Laporta challenges moving ahead now that he is the president, as we both predicted, to be fair, is that he needs to make the club sustainable. He needs to make the club better every day in every sense of the word. Obviously, it's a football club, Barcelona, so football is at the heart of it. But I think the economics, given the debt, has to come hand in hand. And sorting out Messi's future in terms of is he staying or is he leaving needs to be linked to how much would he get paid if he stayed. Yeah, the two challenges for Laporta is one, debt, two, Messi. And when I saw the photos and the video, and I usually don't try to be the doctor of body language like many on social media are, but I will say that I felt yesterday, and even recently with the good run of form and, and the comebacks and all this stuff, I get the sense that Messi is as close to staying at the club as of yesterday that he's been in about a year and a half's time. But that said, in the last year and a half, he said, hey, please let me leave. And Bartomeu didn't let him leave. (laughs) So obviously, just by staying uh, in the fall, he was closest to staying at the club because he was still at the club. And I think that with Laporta in charge, we don't know who he voted for, but I think you get a sense as to who Messi voted for. I think we get a sense to who a friend of Juan Laporta being Jorge Messi, his father. We know who he voted for. Um, We'll have a good sense of that. And 
And you're right. I, I think what can be said of him being a captain and choosing to show that he's a member of this club and cares about the club. And I mean, hey, it's for anyone with kids, it's, it's opportunity to show his son, like what the democratic process looks like and things like that. It's just, it's a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you could tell that there is something in Messi right now that he's not to say he's always going to be simpler than you think he is. But Messi loves his football and Barca are playing great football right now. And he loves a sporting project that is not only going to support him, but makes it look like there's hope that he's going to win trophies. And that's what he wants, too. And that seemingly is what Laporte is going to try to put forth. Now, Ted did ask, to keep Messi, can Barca offer a minority ownership position in lieu of wages and a transfer fee? Uh, I don't know about that. He's 33 right now, as we mentioned. He's going to be 34. And you don't really give a 34-year-old minority ownership, especially of a club run by socios. He is a socio, so he actually does have (laughs) some ownership in the club. That's actually true. Um, But he's one among many, many socios. But yeah, I think, as to Frances's point, the wages is a bigger part, and that wage bill is going to be part of the debt. Now, part two of Laporta is his other challenge. I think the most important challenge, somehow even bigger than Messi, because there is there is a life, as as you mentioned, Francis, beyond Messi in the future. So the dealing with debt, here's the questions here. Pancho, we all know number one is controlling the debt. What changes could Laporta implement in the club? Yoran, how will Laporta deal with our debt? Antonio, what do you think could be his first big move or step with regards to put our team in a better financial position? Uh, and then Michael had also said, can Laporta make signings that make sense without breaking the bank? Is that even possible at this point? Our closed Facebook group listener, uh, Ellie, who's really helpful in the listener group with a lot of content there, uh, he did point out that Graham Hunter had mentioned on another podcast, Graham Hunter, who's I've written a book about FC Barcelona. He's written one of the primary yeah. English books in, uh, books in English about it, um, making of the super team. But Laporta's line of credit is apparently three times that of Frescia, which was 250 million reported, uh, euros reportedly, that being Frescia, which is for Laporta, that would mean his is about 750 million euros of individual credit. Because uh, we do know that the Barca presidents do have a financial, an individual financial stake in the club. That's what we spoke about, mm-hmm. about how Bartomeu might, when all is said and done, be on the hook a little bit for some of the uh, the debt that the, the club has accrued. We're not sure about that. I think that'll be settled in court years and years and years from now on the Bartomeu case. But for Laporta, even with his uh, high line of credit, Barca are dealing with, as a club, 1.2 billion euros of debt, which is, I, I, I cannot understate this enough, that's a lot of money. And it's not even, as we've talked about many, many times before, it's not that that entire debt is the problem. It's that the short-term debt is close to 146 million euros. That is the short-term issue that Laporta will have to quickly come in and solve. And if he has a line of credit that individually has him paying some of that out of his pocket, and then we'll say getting reimbursed with sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera, later on, that might be the, the quick solution. That might be the quote-unquote quick fix that Laporta might have up his sleeve. We don't know the creditors that he's speaking to. We don't know how he's going to attempt to continue to distribute some of that debt over the long term, which is worrisome. But we also don't know the negotiations that we've mentioned, that the power of the, and his charisma that he will have in negotiations with players on major wages. The one thing that he did say, now Laporta is, as I, I spoke about on the YouTube channel, I spoke about with Barcelev on uh, last Monday, that Laporta has not really revealed his whole plan. He was the favorite and he didn't have to. And he still won the election without revealing his plan. But in reference to the economic response, he has used the term, and this is the, the, the translation, he has used the term digital initiatives, which means that he's looking to continue to expand. If that means, as Barcelev indicated, 
that he's going to create a Barcelona, a Barcelona app, and he hopes that people pay for that. If he's going to continue to work on outreach of the studio page and the uh, the you know the Twitch page, hint hint hint. <laughs> but uh, any of the and obviously the Twitch page is not a uh, digital initiative that's going to make the club a lot of money. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about digital initiatives, and as in how can he continue to expand the the digital initiative of the club? How can he get socios to continue to uh, get something out of the club by putting their money into it? That's another one of the big questions. How can he continue to expand that roster of socios? How can he continue to attract international socios? That was, that's something else we've spoken about. So there are a lot of different things in the short term that he's going to take a look at. And I, I think it could be any or potentially all of those different options. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knows himself. Obviously, you asked a lot of questions at once, uh, which is good. Every time we've got La Ronda, that happens. Um, I don't think Laporta is very clear on what he's going to do right now, to be honest. Um, I listened to the sort of celebration speech, the speech he gave after you know the result was confirmed that he was the winner. And um, he couldn't have been any more vague. Um, <laughs> yeah, He really couldn't. He really, really couldn't. Um, he was saying all the right things. And um, he was thanking everyone, you know, the people counted the votes, the, the sources for coming out during the pandemic. He then went on to thank, um, obviously, everyone in his team. He thanked Leo Messi for bringing his son to a democratic process, like you've already sort of mentioned and hinted before. And then he ended by thanking Font and Freysha for being great rivals in the campaign. So basically, tick, 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 everything you should say, he was saying. But at the same time, if you look at the substance, there wasn't much at all. Um, the, the sporting plan, I'm not convinced what it is i don't know what it is um i hope that he does it looks like jordi Cruyff is gonna come on come on board fairly soon but we don't know that um Chavi is not someone who has been mentioned just yet uh, i think that kuman's promotion of the youth and the the sort of the firm hand and having the buy-in that he seems to have with from leo messi in particular but from the old guard that, you know, we've already spoken at length, they need to be phased out slowly but surely, but they seem to be happy at the moment. And uh, if you're Laporta, really, those the old guard now were the youngsters that you were bringing in before, so that's going to be a good indication. So everyone seems fairly happy, so we haven't really heard too much in that, in that respect. Um, we don't know what's going on in there either. I mean, it looks like Mateo Alamagne is going to come in as, a, as the director of football. That's everyone seems to be indicating but again nothing final nothing that we know today uh, at the time of recording obviously um, he's already been to the Ciudad Esportiva this morning um, he's already met Kuman and the and, and the and the first team plantilla the, the squad which was always natural going to be the first step again no surprises there then he's gone on to see the basketball coaches the femini he's gone to see the handball section so he's gone through all the sections and basically he spent all of this morning as far as i understand just um saying hello to everyone and i'm assuming reassuring them that uh, things are going to go in the right direction whatever that means again just me being vague on purpose because that's what he's done all the way so far um in his not in the celebration sort of speech that he gave after, but in different interviews he's given, and he hasn't given too many. He did say that basically whoever expects me to lift up, like we've been saying for the last four months, five months, whoever expects me to come on and audit the club is right that I will do that. But if you expect me to sort of pick up the carpet and just share the, 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 the dirt with everyone and basically me governing or me leading Barca with the rear, rear view mirrors facing back, 
and expecting some dirt to come out, um, that's not going to happen. So, you know, I don't know what that means either. I know that there's a lot of I don't know, but I really don't know. But I don't think he's going to be someone who's going to draw blood from Bartomeu, etc. Like, to be honest, and if you think back, that's what Sandro Roussel did to him straight away uh, when he took over and Bartomeu continued and had no, no words against it. But I think Laporta wants to be, he's mature, obviously, from what he was 18 months, 18 years ago, not 18 months, but 18 years ago. And in the sense that he has learned that one of the major things that Barca needs right now is people to stop arguing, is people to stop uh, dividing the club in which, like, I support Font, no, I support Bartomeu, no, I support Roussel, no, I support Laporta. That has to stop because ultimately the club needs to move forward together. And I think that he's going to be as careful as he can to cater for everybody. But, you know, in my experience, that's not always the best way to, to lead any team. But that's the way that Laporta has chosen to go forward. But obviously, without many specifics um, as of today. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think there's a lot there in terms of Laporte's plan moving forward, the growth that he's had over time. And I, I think you mentioned about the sporting direction that he's going to go forward with. And I think obviously there's a lot of questions because the people who are going to be the, the main puppeteers of that are not at the club yet. Uh, and we spoke about Laporta's team the first time, how there was credit to Ferran Soriano and Chiki Bajiristain and some of the major figures of his team last time around that helped build and were the architects of, of what he was doing last time. We do know that historically speaking, Laporta did in his first time around when the club coming off the time from, from Nunez and uh, there, there was certainly a new era that needed to be ushered in for the, uh, at when Laporta took over and Gaspar as well. And what he did the first time was he made that team revolve around before Guardiola came and kind of kicked them out. It was Deco and Ronaldinho that became uh, major figures. And remember, going all the way back to his first election, when he was not the favorite. I, I don't even remember the name of the businessman, but he was not the favorite yeah, in that election. It was, it was Luis Bassat. Right, Luis right. Bassat was the favorite, and uh, he was the underdog in the same way that uh, Victor Fong was now. Right. And everyone sort of was taking it as a given that Bassat would be the, the, the successful one in, in that election. And uh, The port, no, of course, he, said Beckham, and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then Beckham never came, which right. is good, obviously, because Ronaldinho came instead. 
Right, and then all of that worked out. So, yeah, we still don't know because I, I don't think Laporta, and we're not even talking transfers. I, I just think the team that he's that he's trying to build is yet to be built. We do have a question about Victor Font as we put it in, and I do want to say a quick piece on this that you mentioned about the infighting. I completely agree. Um, we've been accused of, it's so funny because we've been accused of being pro Laporta, pro Font. We never heard pro Freixa, but we have been pro Bartomeu, <laughs> uh, which is so funny to me. Um, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think anyone is pro Freysia. It's just those those bots that get yeah. voting on Twitter. Apart from that, no one. No, well, there's that, there was that worry the morning of when everyone's like, well, what if it's Freysia? What if he gets all the mail-in nah, votes? And, come on. Oh, right, 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 no, right. So, that was never a worry. Anyone yeah. anyone who knows the club knows that that was never going to happen. Come on. He he was associated with Laporta the first time round, then with Roussel, and then with Bartomeu. So he, he was not a culprit, but he was an associate of everything that happened. Yeah. And if you want to break from that, which most people did, then Freysia was never going to win. Yeah, no, Freysia no was, he was on that board till 2015 and that was that was enough time to, to do him in. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I think back to the infighting thing, I'm just happy to see that, you know, for people who wanted to hear my opinion, the people asked us, you know, who would we have voted for? And I would say that if the day of there was a fear of me that that Freysia might have won, I probably would have voted for Laporta, but I would have liked to see either Victor Font or Juan Laporta if I could have voted. So it's either way. I mean, for me, it you was... you want me to tell you then? It was honestly 50 Now that the election is finished. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I Yesterday, because um, last time I spoke about it, um, I was undecided. But having seen all the campaign, um, I would have voted for Victor Font yesterday without a shadow of a doubt as well, because I think that the club needed his know-how in terms of what running an enterprise because Barca is a football club, but again, it's a business. And uh, I think that the business part of it is suffering so much that it's, a, a, it's really, really, really affecting the, the sporting. Mm-hmm. So I think that Victor Font's plan was very clear. I think that he knew exactly what to do. He's done it recently. He's done it, you know, taking companies from nothing to a lot. Um, you can look up the numbers yourself. Um, very successfully in the world that we currently live in. I think that Laporta was very successful 18 years ago, but then again, he had young Xavi, young Puyol, he had um, Messi. Messi was, well, Messi was 16 years old. Yeah, the last time Laporta took over, Messi was 16, and Messi is not 16 anymore. So, right, it was exactly. a perfect time. Yeah, but I, I think... Exactly. For- he had- he had the money to sign Ronaldinho. He had money to sign Eto and Deco, who wasn't cheap either. So, you know, there was a lot of, um, there was a much better situation then than there is now. And I think that the club needed someone new with a detailed plan and uh, the connections that he said. And people were making fun of this, which I don't quite understand. Um, all the connections that he clearly had done with uh, Jordi Cruyff and Xavi and others. Um, uh, you know, I don't, for one second, I think Xavi would have been traveling tomorrow if Victor Fon had, had been successful, but it is clear that the, those conversations did happen. Um, but then again, I don't want to put the whole club in and the whole future of the club on whether Xavi comes or not. I mean, Xavi may come under Joan Laporta next month. He may come in two years' time, three years' time. He may never come. Who knows? But I think that the, the roots, I think that the depth, I think that the structure, the columns, the pillars of what Victor Fon was trying to build were very, very clear. And I think that someone who, let's face it, two years ago, one year ago even, was an unknown and to the vast majority of sources was still an unknown four or five months ago, to have gotten 30% of the votes is remarkable. And I really, you know, you can play this podcast back in, in eight years, seven years, six years, five years. I think Victor Fon will be Barca president one day. I just don't know when that will be, but I think that what Barca needed now is fresh, fresh blood with fresh ideas. Even if the sporting section suffers for a year, two years, three years, 
but you know, Laporta has won. Clearly, he had a lot of support from a lot of sources. I think clearly the fact that Barca lost 2-8 in the Champions League and then before that in Liverpool and before that in Roma and before that in whatever it was, luckily I seem to have forgotten, which is which is good. It's taken me a while. But four years of failure in Europe, um, I think that especially the last one has really taken you know the sources back to the successful years. And the guy that was in charge then was Laporta. Obviously, the Laporta 18 years ago cannot possibly be and clearly isn't the Laporta now. But as I said, um, now that I've shared with the world what I would have voted, so I didn't want to influence anyone because you know, I mean, whatever I say doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> I think people listen to the podcast, but I'm not here to convince anyone of anything, just just speaking my mind and hopefully people want to hear that. But um, I'm, I wish Laporta all the best. I don't think that everything is going to be perfect, but it wouldn't have been perfect with anyone. I think that the fact he wants to reunite everybody uh, is great. I think that the fact that he's so influential and he's got so many connections with agents and players and so much history with people like Vitor Valdez, for example, that seems to be coming back to coach um, to coach the goalkeepers, as I understand it. Again, at the time of recording, this could have changed by tomorrow. But all of that is great. But I think that, I mean, my vote would have been for Victor, but I wish Laporta all the best and we'll do all we can to support from wherever we are. Yeah, I mean, you could just tell with you and I that we probably would have voted for different people. But to me, that's kind of what the argument I was saying about the, the about the frustration and consternation between Laporta and Font, which confused me the most. You have uh, for all the things that uh, or the times that I saw that Font was getting called a uh, Nunista and that he supported Nunez and he was just an, a, an addition to. Right. It was it's nonsense because Font and Laporta, if you look at what their not only their ideologies are, but what they put forth, uh, very, very similar. So I wouldn't be surprised. With honestly, that, Dan, let me jump yeah. in because I've seen that as well so Victor Font being, being called a Nunista okay do people really know who Joseph Joseph Luis Nunez was at the time apparently not he's the guy that well that's what I'm saying yeah that, that's precisely where I'm going so Joseph Luis Nunez is was a very successful Catalan businessman he brought Criff back to coach the the team he enabled all of the signings of all of the greats like Stoichkov, like Kuman, obviously as a player, uh, Michael Laudrup, Richard Wichke as well. Uh, he developed all of this core of the Barca team being from around Spain, mostly from, from the Basque country. So you had Vaquero, Zubizarreta, uh, you had lots of players from there, um, Alexanko. And then basically he gave the club the first European Cup that we ever won, obviously the, the Champions League as it's known today. Now that is pretty remarkable. Obviously, and unfortunately, the vast majority of presidents that have ever led Barca have had some dark, some darkness, some dark moments in yeah. there. And Josep Luis Nunez is not really alien to that. But I think from a sporting perspective, he created the dream team. And he obviously killed the dream team in the end, to be fair. But he created it. And that's the most fun I've I've ever had watching Barca ever until basically the Laporta years under Pep Guardiola. So being called a Nunista, I don't really know if that's meant to be an insult, to be honest. I'm not saying the guy is perfect, but right. come on, sporting perspective, he didn't change the club. We were a losing club all over the 70s and the 80s, and we would be jumping up and down if every five years we won a Copa del Rey. He changed that. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, don't think it's not that bad a thing at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes down to the 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 
dogmatic ideology separations between when you say Corfista or Nunista and how that's become two different camps, which is, again, as you mentioned, Barca presidents go back. I, mean, I went back in history last night. I was, I was looking at this and you're right. So many presidents did not necessarily leave on their own accord. That's just something that happens at FC Barcelona. It's what happens in football. Um, nobody ever knows when's the right time to leave. Very rarely do people leave perfectly when they're supposed to. That's politicians, that's athletes, that's anybody. Nobody knows when the perfect time to go is. Um, unless you were Xavi leaving Barcelona the way he did that, that first time, you really don't know when's the proper time to leave. And you answered a ton of questions. We had one from Pachir about, do you think Xavi's in Laporta's plans? Well, that's the answer. So I also want to mention about the Victor Font Laporta stuff. Again, not only were they very, very similar, but do not be surprised if Laporta takes a huge portion of Font's plan and adapts it for his own and yeah. tweaks it just a bit. Um, Font had a plan to bring fans back by April 4th. And that's another thing I want to mention again, that getting fans back in the stadium safely with it's not even going to be up to the club it'll be up to the, the the Catalan authorities and health officials getting fans back in the stands and then also getting fans safely into that museum that's huge for revenue that's going to be so important and Laporta whenever he gets them back he's going to be able to take credit for that hopefully he can do that as soon as possible but again that's going to be anybody any of the presidents mm -hmm. we're going to try to do that as soon as possible and just to you I agree with you too that regardless of who I would have voted for I think that Victor Font built something this time around and got name recognition. Again, politics 101. Name recognition goes farther than anything else in politics. That's It's just the truth of the matter. Even if you're the the, the worst candidate, which is what Laporta was not. Laporta was not the worst candidate. But even if you are the worst candidate, name recognition goes so far. And obviously, Laporta was able to ride that name recognition in a way that he couldn't in 2015 because Bartomeu was just coming off the treble win. So remember, Laporta did lose in 2015. That said, Victor Font, I think he really helped his case, got 30% of the vote. And whether it's in a few years' time after Laporta or, yeah, as you mentioned, if it's a decade, I expect to see Victor Font again. I do think he will be Barca president one day. I think he clearly showed that unless there's somebody else who's waiting in the wings that that the, the font's going to be the guy just because of the things that he put forth. Now, I do want to uh, get in the weeds a little bit here about um, the Porta staff. As I mentioned, it's not just the Porta. The, the group that he built, the team that he assembled the first time around was what led to a lot of the success, and they are now working against him at other places. And you did allude to Victor Valdez returning. He'll be, um, he'll be the, uh, the academy goalkeeper coach is what his, his role almost officially at this point. You mentioned Mateo Aleman. He is going to be uh, an essential figure, most likely the general manager. He'll be joining as a director and executive, taking over in that way. Again, most likely general manager will be his position. A little rundown on him for those who, who don't know. He's a two-time president of Mallorca. Uh, he was a CEO of Valencia from 2017 to 2019. Cool story about Aleman. In 2000, Florentino Perez, our friend at, uh, at Real Madrid, he was a new president, and he offered Aleman the general manager job at Real Madrid and instead Aleman said I don't think so and so he was promoted to president at Mallorca instead and then Laporta came calling after before he did leave Mallorca he did lead them to the Copa del Rey title in 2003 which is the best moment in that club's history but yeah as far as having a major resume at we'll say a Champions League contending side doesn't really have one quite yet. Um, Valencia supporters though, didn't like when he left in 2019 either. There was some disagreeing behind the scenes. He actually looked like he was going to take the Atletico CEO job this time last year, but maybe he knew a few things then about his friend Laporta and running for president now. And then I also want to mention too that Rafael Yuste is another vice president who's returning. He was a former vice president of Laporta. He'll be his, uh, his a main vice president again. And then the CEO is rumored to be Ferran Ferreter. I think I have that right. Um, he comes from Media Markt. To those who are not uh, initiated, that is a, an electronics retail in Europe. 
So that is a businessman. That is that is not a footballer uh, in any way. That is a businessman, businessman, businessman. And then, so those are some of the, we'll say the the, the figures we've seen. Jose Ramon Alexanco, who you mentioned as well, making a return to the club under Laporta, as well as Albert Penangs, who was a major figure in building the academy that uh, of the 21st century. And Laporta actually had him in his, in his plan. And I think it really hurt Font to see a name like Benazes show up at Laporte's presentation. I, I think that really hurt mm-hmm. Font when he began the responsibility. But the guy that we've been asked about, Douglas asked, what can we expect from Aleman and Jordi Cruyff as sporting director? The first answer I give is that we don't know what any of these gentlemen are going to do. We know their credentials. I can read you their credentials, let you know what they've done, but I can't tell you what they're going to do because we don't know how all these these pieces, we don't know how all these personalities are going to fit together. So I actually have a quick trivia question for you, Frances, and then I want to talk about Jordi Cruyff. Fun fact, here's a quick question. Where do you think Jordi Cruyff played his most games as a player? Where he played the most games as a player? Yeah. This is almost a trick not question. Not at Barca. Was not, not Barca. Barca. No. That's for sure. His second most was Barca B, though. Second most appearances for Barca B. Possibly. Then Manchester United, then. It wasn't Manchester. It was Deportivo Alaves. It actually, and there he didn't. At even the end, hundred. yes, <laughs> yeah, he did go there. For after after Man United, after Man United, right? So that yeah. was actually where he made his most appearances. So Jordi Cruyff, he's kind of remembered as a player, but not really. <laughs> most of his his now uh, his career has been as a, uh, a a sporting director and a manager. Now, so where he started, yeah. yeah please. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little bit about Jordi Cruyff as a player. I don't know how much time we've got, so it's the podcast. So I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> So what I remember from Jordi Cruyff as a player is that everyone thought that he was an enchufado. Uh, for those that speak Spanish, um, it's enchufado. For those who don't, that means that you're plugged in. So basically, you are there because your father is someone. Um, and uh, at the Camp Nou, to be honest, as a player, he wasn't really well liked at all. Uh, and people actually used him against his father. Uh, at yeah. the time. That's why he didn't last very much. And uh, fun fact on the side, which most people, I guess, wouldn't know unless you, you were following Barca at the time, it was the same with Angoy. So Angoy was um, a goalkeeper from northern Spain that Croy signed for not a lot of money, but he signed him. He was <laughs> he was not very good, okay? And uh, he was a reserve goalkeeper. He was always kept one season after the next season after the next season. And he ended up marrying Johan Croy's daughter. I'll have you know. So yeah, the, those two, Jordi Croy and Mariano Angoy, were both used as weapons against Croy at the time. So not everything that Croy did made sense, to be fair. And another thing that people would even know that, but lots of signs like Korneyev, Askach, um, there was several. Didn't always go his way. So not, that's, I'm just saying that. So that people don't think that Cruyff was perfect in every way, in every shape of the word, in every sense of the word, and that all the decisions he made made perfect sense. So it's the same for Laporta, it's the same for Bartomeu, it's the same for anyone that's ever been anyone at Barca, because you're under the scrutiny, you're under the spotlight, and everything you do greatly, people assume that it has to be great because it's Barca, but when you make a mistake, it's always remembered, and then again, it's plastered all over the press. So, fun fact. Yeah, I mean, and Jordi Cruyff, his son, has not really been in a position where he's gotten international consternation, uh, uh, consternation for any of his decisions yet. He was uh, he was uh, at a club in Cyprus for three years as sporting director for a while, and then it, the, where he's made most of his resume as a sporting director is at Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. He was sporting director there from 2012 to 2017. 
He did yeah. manage Maccabi Tel Aviv for one season then. And then since then, he's been a manager, actually. One season in China. Then he was named, this is a fun story, he was named the Ecuador manager. But due to COVID, he managed all of zero matches because Ecuador never played. Since August, he's been the manager of Chinese Super League side Shenzhen FC, who are currently in fifth place at the moment, which is bottom half of the 18 table. But he's not coming to be the manager of Barcelona. So we don't really need to look at what he's been doing as a manager for the last three years in time. And even at, at, at Maccabi, Tel Aviv, how many things can he do and with what resources? We've actually never seen a Jordi Cruyff be at a, again, a PSG or a Man United or it's not like he's done that kind of job before. So we don't know what he'll be able to do with the resources that he has. He has mentioned that while reports are that he will show up in Barcelona on Wednesday, he has said today that he's expected to be at Shenzhen FC training on Wednesday, but, you know, and Barcelona also don't have money at the moment to go with these contract buyouts. So unless he wants to mutually consent to leave, which is going to take him a little, a few days or at least a few, maybe even a few weeks, it might be before Wednesday or, hey, maybe he does negotiate his own buyout very quickly and he can show up on Wednesday. Again, that's what's being reported. So yes, Jordi Cruyff is going to be there, Aleman. So the, the, it's starting to take place. The plan and the, the figures that are going to be important to Laporta's group are starting to be put together. And we're starting to see at least the people that will be making those decisions. What decisions they're making, who knows? But one of the main decisions we do know, as we pivot here talking instead, uh, the final piece, I think, of the Porta puzzle, is Coleman's future. And so Minor asked, with our recent victories and reboot of style from Coleman, winning a trophy would be sufficient for Laporta to offer him an extension of his contract. And then Tom also asked, with Laporta in place, do you expect Coleman to continue next season? And can I just throw in before, I'll let you answer those questions. The thing I want to throw in first is the Messi in this 3-5-2 that I've been seeing lately. When we talk about Messi's future at the club and the role he could play, this 3-5-2 that we've seen for the last three matches, I think is what you could see Messi doing for Barcelona until he's 35, 36 years old. In terms of playmaking, the way he's playmaking, he's being very judicious with when he has to pressure and not only picking it up from midfield and assisting like he's been recently, but occasionally getting forward and goal scoring when he needs to. And so I think Messi's positioning has been spot on and he has just been fantastic in fitting in that team in the formation and yeah, making the best of the connections that he has on the field. And I think this version of Messi is one that is not, this team is not Messi dependent in that 3-5-2, the way it's been uh, in different formations. And I think he's really been thriving. That being Messi, I mean, he thrives all the time individually, but I think he's been connecting well. I, I wish I could say this a little bit better and more succinctly, but if that makes any sense, this, this Messi under Coleman in the last three matches has been exceptional. I think that's the Messi that could stick around for or choose to stick around for two to three years with all these young players that we're going to talk about later. But So what do you think about Coleman? Where do you think his future is going to lie with Laporta? Well, I think that it doesn't depend on a trophy. Uh, that that's for a start. One of the questions was was asking that. Um, the the job that Kuman is doing goes far beyond winning the cup or far beyond winning the league, which I don't think we're going to win. And I know I keep saying that all the time, and I hope that I'm wrong, but I still don't think that they, there's going to be there's going to be enough legs left in this squad once it really matters at the end. I think that we're, it's great that we are winning pretty much consistently now. I think it's great that the team is growing, but I don't, I'm not too optimistic about winning any silverware. Obviously, we're in the cup final now, which is good. I wasn't optimistic about the comeback against Sevilla, but it happened, which is good. I like to be proved wrong, and I've got no problem with that at all because it means Barca is winning. But Kuman staying next year, I don't think goes linked to silverware. I yeah. think that it, it is linked 
to the job that he's doing and what he's building. I think Kuman's legacy will not be the cup. Kuman's legacy will be the one that really trusted Pedri in Pedri's first season at Barca, the one that gave him the the keys to 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 the to the engine. You know, the one that enabled um, Pedri to grow alongside De Jong and Busquets. Obviously, they seem to have been his partners in crime for most of the season. I think that Kuman goes to you know the one that gave Araujo, Ingeza, Ilash Moriba the opportunity to come in and grow. The one that unfortunately couldn't do that with Ansu Fati, but I don't think anyone listening will have any doubt that if Ansu Fati was fit and continued to play at the standard that he was playing before he got injured, and to be honest, bit of an aside, far too long ago, isn't it? I think Ansu Fati should have really been back already, given his age and given yeah, but, the but I always argue, everyone... I always argue that for Ansu Fati, he's going to be in Barca for the next ten years, hopefully. So I don't want to see him until he's one hundred percent healthy. These no, no, need, no, I'm with you. For for eighteen-year-old teenagers with knee injuries, you've got to just keep them out as as long as it takes. And I mean, yeah, maybe you can ask questions of the medical staff, but no, keep him out. I don't. I, yeah, I don't no. want to see him this season. Actually, no, no, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, but. It is, it is being a while. And based on what they told us that it was, it seems to have been longer. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of secretism going with that. There's not really a lot of sharing of information. There are rumors coming out, etc. We don't really know what the situation is, but I don't want to digress. All of the youngsters that he's given a chance for, um, I think that Ricky Puch is getting more minutes, but obviously Ilash Muliba seems to have it overtaken him. Um, but again, you know, if he's scoring golazos like he did the other day, and he's adding the strength and the muscle and the drive and the differential attitude and differential uh, contribution that he has been showing with his play when he's playing, then he probably should be ahead of Ricky Puch. And also the fact that he's 18 and Ricky Puch is 22. So he's four years younger. And this is extraordinary. Like you've got Pedri starting pretty much every single match at 18 years old. You've got Ansu Fati, who would have normally started most matches at 18 years old. You've got Elash Moriba breaking through. These guys are extraordinarily young. Like at 18 years old, I don't even want to think back about what I was doing. Probably nothing good. So to have them making a difference at this level is, is extraordinary. And Kuman's legacy will be this. It will be the fact that he took a team that was over-reliant on your Rakitic and your Vidas and Luis Suarez have been, you know, crawling around for two seasons and he changed all that. I mean, very happy for Luis Suarez scoring against Madrid and doing great at Atletico. Great. He wouldn't have done that for us, not this season and not with the background. Obviously, as I've said a million times, Suarez being out of the dressing room has enabled Messi to to mingle with them, to grow and, and to sort of be more supportive towards the youngsters. I don't think Messi opens up in the dressing room the way that he has done in terms of um, growing and enabling and supporting the youngsters the way he has, if Luis Suarez is here, which is the key reason why you and I both said last season that he had to go. Uh, it had nothing to do with his quality in front of goal. That's never going to change. You know, the guy could be 77 million years old and still scoring hat-tricks. But that's not what we were arguing last year. It's the same with Vidal, the same with Rakitic, you know. You've got players that get paid at that level and have got that CV, they've got to play. And if they play, you've got the youngsters not playing. So all of that put into the balance. Um, I, and I've been listening to Laporta quite a bit as well. I don't think Laporta's got any intention of changing Kuman for next season, to be honest. I think that the honesty in which he's doing the job, I think the fact, and you know, people outside Catalonia may not really see this, but the amount of respect 
that Kuman has from the Catalan press is immense. And there are a lot of people very influential, such as, for example, the one that really is very close to him is Luis Canut, uh, Luis Canut from, from TV3. He is, um, he presented Gola Gol, which was the, you know, the, the, the like the match of the day mm-hmm. um, back in the 1990s, um, in uh, every Sunday evening, every Saturday evening. And he was very good friends with everyone at the, at the, at the dream team. He went golfing with Kuman the other day, you know, he, they're, they're that close. Like he, there, there was literally four players. He was explaining the other day in Catalonia Radio, there were four players and it was Kuman and he was like some sort of friend of his. And then two of the journalists and the two journalists that are so influential, they are the ones that he took. I mean, the guy's not stupid, is it? If you want to take someone, you take someone who is influential and is going to defend you. So the, the amount of support from anything coming through from the dream team is insane. Uh, and, you know, because the, like people like me transform our lives and it transform our club into being what it is today. Um, out of all of those players, I think Kuman, Laudrup, even though that he went to Madrid in the end, Romaria and Stojkov, they're like gods in, in Catalonia. You know, they, they can really do no wrong. Um, obviously, Guardiola, Guillermo Amor as well, Vaquero, in the, all in the same ball. But Kuman's the one that scored the winner. And Kuman's the one that was there from the beginning of the Croy years until the end. Yeah. And uh, he was the captain as well. So, so he's got all of that going because of that. And again, for people outside Catalonia, this may not matter very much, but he speaks perfect Spanish. Um, he does all of his press conferences in Spanish. In the Catalan radio, though, um, in all the press conferences, there's always a Catalan question coming. And whenever he speaks in Catalan radio, which this ticks a lot of boxes for all the Catalans, who are the saucies, who are the ones that vote in the election, obviously, um, he understands Catalan perfectly. He doesn't speak it, but he understands Catalan perfectly. So if a question comes to him in Catalan, he will reply in Spanish. And then the next question comes in English. He replies in English. So he's got all of those boxes yeah. ticked. No, I think he, and, his press conferences of all the managers that we've been following, he has the, the most seamless and the easiest for me to understand. I don't, his Spanish is slow and perfect for me. <laughs> his English is perfect. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it is, yeah, his press conferences are, are A plus and he's so frank and direct. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we've been slanted a lot, Frances, for giving compliments to Coleman, but he certainly had something. And I, I want to do the Academy stuff now. I was going to be the end of the show. Yeah. But just one second, one second. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to say before we go. So I'm not going to say I told you so, but there were a lot of people. I mean, there was a point that it was, I would say, 90% of people bashing Kuman and Kuman out and get Chavi in tomorrow and all of that nonsense. Um, if you are, and I keep calling it because to me it is a transition year, a year in which you're going to bring a lot of energy to the club, you're going to bring new legs, you're going to change the club. I think Kuman was the perfect choice for that. He took no nonsense from the oldies that he removed. He's taking no nonsense from the old guard that he's got there with him now. I've got no doubt that if he was trusted for next year, he will be able to give some names as people who need to be moved on. I think that if he needs to tell, I'm just giving you an example. If he needs to tell Busquets, you know what, um, thank you for everything you've done, but this season you're going to play 30 minutes per game and you're going to come as a sub and so-and-so is going to start in your position. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Frankie de Jong, or maybe, I don't know, even, I'm going to say something stupid here, but even Uriol Busquets, I know it's not going to happen, but someone from the academy, whoever it is, they're going to start in your position. I want you to help them. I want, I want you to nurture them, and you will come on, and you will play your minutes, 
but your role this season is secondary. He's got no trouble to do that. And he will, he will continue to trust Pedri and Mingueza and Araujo and all of these players that ultimately are the ones that have taken us to where we are today, which is two or three months before the end of the season. We still have a chance in all competitions. Obviously, Champions League seems a bit difficult, but the other two, we've got, we've got every chance to win it, uh, for, every chance to win that, even though that really given our squad and given how the season has gone, we shouldn't be there. And and he's got a lot of injuries as well. So he's not doing too badly. Um, the guy's not perfect. Substitutions are still too late for my liking. Yeah, uh, but, you know, no one really is. I think he's a good manager based on what he's done this season without a shadow of a doubt. So I would give uh, I would give him my confidence. And I think Laporta, and I may be wrong here, I think Laporta will too. I mean, if you got to go on your victory lap about Coleman, Frances, then I, Cal Ripken is going to be jealous about how long I go on this victory lap around the stadium. I mean, I'm the one who's been saying that Barca could win trophies this season still. I'm the one who said that they could be in these competitions, and they are. But where I'm not going to go on that victory lap until a Copa del Rey final is won. But my victory lap is going to come when it comes to the academy again this year. Barca is the fourth youngest team in the Liga. And this is, again, where we redefine what transition season means. Transition season to me, never even, melt, uh, never even met that there won't be trophies. It meant that there's going to be young players making mistakes and the squad's going to look radically different than it did last year. And it does because the old players are out and the young players are in. The big difference is what we're talking about and what I've been mentioning, that this is, again, one of the deepest squads I've seen in a, in a long, long time because of the young players. And if these young players, I, I can go back, I'll find the tape for somebody. If these young players were exceeding expectations, Barca could contend for titles and that's what they're doing because these youngsters have exceeded expectations it's been 16 years since the last time when barca played this many under 22 players more than 1500 total minutes 16 years and this year it's already at 1800 minutes and counting so that just tells you in the 21st century they've not played under 22 players this many minutes 18 minutes and counting again fourth youngest team in the league this season second in the table now and we're gonna well that's how we're ended uh at the end but for Ies Mouiba, I want to do, do my little Ies Mouiba victory lap now. Rather, five youngest goal scorer in Barca's Liga history. So, no Polino Alcantara on that for you history buffs. He was 15, uh, but way, way, way back in the day. But Ies is the fifth youngest behind Fati, Boyan, Messi, and Pedri. Four of those five players are currently with Barcelona on their first team roster at the moment. I want to mention that too. And why I want to say about the Ies thing, here, here's the little, the little ditty about the Galazzo and how it was surprising to me. Um, that he that he hit it with his left, but the fact that he scored it was not surprising at all. I think there is a lot left up to chance. Again, this is a disclaimer I put in every every talk about every 18-year-old player. There's a lot left up to chance, and a lot has to go right for these kids to turn into real players. Of course, we're not. I'm not denying that. But it's not crazy that there is a group of talented kids all at similar ages at the moment at the club, if you've been paying attention. Talent does ebb and flow. Germany, France, Spain, UK are always producing huge talents. Um, that is due quite a bit to neocolonialism and historic disparities of these countries and financial resources and other things like that. But as I've spoken about before, it's not surprising when there is something... I mean, I think there's something special. It's less surprising in one of those big clubs. I mean, not clubs, but one of those big countries for these things to happen. But there is something I find wonderfully random about a crop of talent that Barca has seen before from a similar place coming up at a similar time. You don't need to compare this group to Puyol and Xavi and Nesta. You don't have to. But you can say that there is an influx of talent that we have not seen since that generation. Again, not comparing like for like, but saying that there was a lull 
and just like there are hills and valleys and there was a hill uh, the top the highest mountain of a peak of talent coming from the academy and then there was a valley where you didn't see many products they were guys who were first team caliber players on the fringes but they weren't necessarily starters and now you're seeing once again you're seeing that hill rise to having hey some talents that are some of the best teenagers in world football so yes Barca still at the academy uh, age still had to convince Fati to come from Sevilla. They had to convince Gabi to come from Real Petis. They had to convince uh, E.S. Moriba to come from Espanyol, believe it or not. And you can throw Pedri from Las Palmas at the end in there as well. And with the exception of Pedri, they still needed to cultivate that talent and coast them up to be players that they had the potential to be. And they still haven't even reached that because they're 18 years old. And there aren't even, again, they're not there yet, but we watch so much football. And you do know something special when you see it, though, with Ish Moriba, just like with Fati, just like with Pedri. You know the special thing you're seeing. So I saw him years ago at the La Liga Promises. And back then, I was like, oh, this kid's way better. I mean, yes, he was also way bigger, but this kid's way better than everyone on this field. And then watching the highlights from three years ago when he was 15 years old and he scored that hat trick, the goal from midfield against the Real Madrid uh, U19s. It was an individual moment when you went, oh, this kid's way younger than everyone on the field and he's doing something like that. So he was always a very special talent. And people rolled their eyes at me back then when I said that it's a big deal when he was 15 turning 16 in January of 2019 and he was on the fence about moving to Man City or Juventus and Barca had to overpay to keep him because obviously you yeah. want to say hey don't overpay unprecedented any as well that Dan they haven't really done that for anybody else so they except must have Fati. seen what you saw right yeah. except for Fati and Ismail oh, they, them both them both yeah right they've been paid and they've proven to be special talents so the last point I want to make about Ismail here I'm going to say it until I'm blue in the face we can do the I, I, we'll, we'll do it here He's not Paul Pogba. I saw it again after he scored the goal. People saying Paul Pogba. Wait, 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 wait. I, I've got, I've got a little easier. I'm trying to make it easier for people here. I wanted to be more creative, okay, and actually look at the player's stuff and not just the physical features. So he's actually looking at it. He reminds me of a young Steven Gerrard, actually, or Leon Goretzka in his Bayern, uh, in his Bayern role, Leon Goretzka, the the midfielder, and not his Schalke role. So that's Leon Goretzka at Bayern, uh, a young Steven Gerrard. We're talking when Steven Gerrard won the Champions League back in 05. I'd even take Yaga Torre at Man City. Not Yaga Torre at Barcelona because he played uh, much farther forward at Man City than in Barcelona. So a, for, a forward-thinking, much farther forward as he did with Man City, Yaga Torre, Steven Gerrard, Leon Goretzka. You can, I mean, I want our listeners to give me other other names. But I'm tired of the Paul Pogba stuff. It's it's trite. It's annoying. Uh, it's I'm going to say it's it's lazy. And it's, it's lazy and it's silly. And if you compare players based on physical attributes, fine. But make sure that their playing styles at least are similar. And he is tremendous on the ball. He's East Moriba, just like Paul Pogba. If that's what you want to make the comparison to, sure. But there's a lot of players who are technically great on the ball. And there are players who just, they, he has a different player. Uh, he's a different player. So I don't want people who don't necessarily or haven't been watching him for years to just make a comparison because that's what everyone else is saying. But I, what I want to hear from people is be creative. Think about the player you see and actually compare him to other players with similar yes. skill sets. Yeah, and uh, but but we both agree that Pedri is the next Iniesta, right? One hundred percent. I don't know what I can't. I, yeah, I can't imagine anything else. So, um, Francesca, I do want to uh, end the show with asking you a simple question here. Dirk asked. Yep. We've been talking all the positive stuff. We've been talking all the good stuff. Dirk asked. Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid drew. We're now only three points behind mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid. They have a game in hand, however. I Liga, Frances. Yeah, I mean, until it's over. <laughs> I knew you were going to back yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. there is. I mean, I'm not going to cop out, but, you know, until, 
But Lady Sings, it's, you know, the opera is still going. So until we are mathematically out, there, there is a possibility. We've got a team that obviously doesn't seem to, and I could be wrong here, but doesn't seem to have a lot of um, games to be played in Europe. We've got one more game in La Copa. If we get enough rest, we could compete for this. Um, there is there is Liga, I guess. Uh, I, I hope that Barca are very successful. Just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, it's technically and probably still six points if Atletico Madrid win that game in hand. Six points is still a a bit. And Barca still have Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid on the schedule. So the big question for Barca has been, until this last week against Sevilla, they hadn't won a quote-unquote big match this season. That match against Mm -hmm. Sevilla was the, the first match that they have won this year that you'd say that they were the... I guess to say the underdogs, where this season's yeah, Barcelona felt like the underdogs. Both of them. The one in La Liga and the one in La Copa. Both yep, of them. They exactly. did very well. Right. So for Barcelona finally winning matches as underdogs, and uh, you know, I, I think obviously PSG, we haven't previewed it at all. We don't need to. It's 4-1, and they've got four away goals to overturn. So you have to get at least four goals in PSG and hope they don't score at least two to to, to have give yourself any shot. Um, and that's yep. a hard thing to ask of this Barcelona side. However, if they're going to do it, this is the moment. A the, the yep. last week was the one that Barca needed to get to get an overturning of PSG. So I think there is hope. There is still hope. There's always hope. This season has proven to be uh, hopeful and uh, yeah, a lot of exciting things. So, mm-hmm. Frances, um, for, for the yeah, just yeah, to say please. for the for the game in France for the Paris game, the PSG game. I just really want Barca to not embarrass themselves. Mm-hmm. I know that's putting the bar really, really low, but I think that they need to go out and they need to compete and they literally need to take it as if it was a, a one match. But but they what they cannot do is what they did in the first game, which is just just show up and see what happens and then getting run over. That that cannot happen. To, I mean, I've been disappointed before uh, and I've been yeah disappointed before with what the team has done. But I really would be incredibly surprised if this Barca after the week we've had went to Paris and did nothing you know I think that if they go out and they fight and they run and they try to outsmart the rival I mean it is quite clear that Kuman should stick to this 3-5-2 because what he tried last time didn't work so with this new system basically the lies being in the line and that many goals to be scored then we may have to watch a, a very good game hopefully a very fun game Let's see if we win. I think the game should be the target. If we get an advantage early on and we score like a goal right before the halftime and we're 2-0 up at halftime for whatever reason, then there is hope. I Liga, but obviously I Liga de Campeones in this occasion. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But I would really expect this Barca to go out and fight and certainly not another disappointment at European level because I don't think we'll be able to take it anymore. I mean, I think the three-five-two does make sense. Of course, with Neymar not yeah. um, fit, then I, I mentioned shutting down Kylian Mbappe. It's easier said than done. It's impossible to do. But teams have done it, yeah. and they've done it by just putting as many bodies on him as they possibly can. The same way that teams shut down Messi, you just throw as many bodies and hope that they don't beat you with an individual moment of brilliance. And uh, you try to sh- get everybody else uh, off the ball and force those defensive midfielders to continue to take those those long shots. So where I end this show is, I do want to mention for International Women's Day. Speaking of the Champions League. Uh, Barca did have a team last week go four up, uh, four nothing up in the Champions League round of 16. That was the Femini against Fortuna Hajoring. It was Jenny Hermoso can't stop scoring right now. She had a hat trick in that mm-hmm. match. Caroline Graham Hansen is making things happen on the right wing. Those two, as I said, combined all three times for Hermoso's midweek hat uh, trick, and then they won on the weekend as well. And Oscar Mangueza's sister 
Ari. She's the captain of Barca B. We should mention here that there's something, and this is the, the thing that fills me a lot of, that makes me excited about talking about Laporta taking over at the club as well, that there's something about Barcelona with Oscar Manguetta coming through. And uh, I didn't mention him when I mentioned all the young players because, again, he's just a, another one of the many young players. There's tons of young players, and he's another one of them. He wasn't a prodigy like the others, but he's a first-team player and playing as such. And um, there's something with both him and his sister this week. There's something that feels very Catalan about the club again, but it doesn't detract from that international presence. And it doesn't make me, as an international living here in the U.S., feel like I'm not a part of that club as well. So that's the good vibes you get when a new president comes in. And it could obviously certainly sour with a bunch of bad results and yada, yada, yada. But if you're just following the Femini, not many bad results there. They have not lost in the league at all this season. And they're taking care of business in the Champions League. But I do want to mention for the Femini, for those who follow it, it is not going to be easy. If anything, it's going to be harder than when they made the final two years ago and they made the semifinals last year. We've been talking about the, invest the investments made into the Femini, the Barca Femini, but there are resources being put into the women's game all over the place. Man City, Chelsea, who are two goals up on Atletico Madrid, who beat Barca for the Super Spanish Super Cup. Bayern Munich, it was 6-1 in their first round, uh, round of 16 match. Uh, probably PSG, they've yet to play even their first. Then the plus the regulars in Wolfsburg and Lyon. One of those teams will probably be waiting in the, in the quarterfinals. Plus one of Swedish side Rosengard or Austrian side uh, Sankt Polten. The winner of that tie between the last two is probably who you're hoping for. But to win it all and to be the best, you've got to beat the best. So expect one of Man City, Chelsea, again, Bayern, PSG, Wolfsburg, Lyon. There's been a lot of resources put in the women's game, which is a good thing for competition. It's a good thing to have a seven, eight, nine teams that could win the Champions League Cup every year that is a good thing for the sport that's a good thing for the competition and barcelona don't get it twisted they are dominating spain they run away with it they won last year's copa del reina which has finally played the final few weeks ago and now they're going to have the uh they'll be a favorite in the copa del reina again this season and they are going to be a favorite they're a favorite i think to win the champions league. not the favorite that's still leon <laughs> as it has been for a decade but they are a favorite in that competition and they've earned it and they deserve it so again on on international women's day i want to say that the femini because of barcelona TV because of even the uh, on what is power power in the US it's Paramount plus or whatever it is it's a, it was CBS All Access it's it has the same rights as the, as the men's Champions League you can watch it, the women's Champions League the same way they are on TV now they are if you take the time and take the opportunity to watch they're doing special things so whether it's on Barca TV or um, on on the, the streaming that you find the Champions League for the men they are worth watching, and uh, yeah, again, not only happy uh, International Women's Day, but I'm so excited that the Femini are having their, I think, arguably their best season ever. That's good. That's good. Is today the day where we celebrate Neymar's sister as well? <laughs> uh, that's coming. I mean, it's this week, right? I, I don't have it on the... Once the player leaves, so if you watch our Instagram, I always post the happy birthday to the players. We have Araujo's on Sunday, and Yaki Pena was last week. But once you leave Neymar's the club... Sister. That's the one. That's once, the but one once, you, you once you leave the no club... No one else matters. I take you off the calendar, though. So Neymar and his oh. sister are off the calendar. When he was at the club, I did have Neymar's birthday, Neymar's <laughs> sister's <did>. birthday. And... <laughs> but no, I will not be making Instagram posts. I've I've got too much other content to worry about, Francis. Like I can't take time to okay, worry about that. Okay, good, good. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for bringing her up. Well, I do have to work on some content now. Again, there's PSG on Wednesday, so hopefully the good vibes continue. And as we talked about, even any kind of result that shows that Barca are a team worth fighting for the Liga, that's going to fight in the Copa del Rey final. Those are the objectives at the moment. But hey, 
crazier things have happened. So there's, it's a good moment. This is the moment for those things to happen. So this is also the moment that we're going to end the show and a good moment for you to not only check in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show, but you can follow us on social media on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Helton D13 for me. And I also ask you to follow us on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Again, I've been doing some birthday stuff, some fun stuff over there. Closed Facebook group. That's where we got the LaRonda questions. That's tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dive discussions and all that. And we are on Patreon where you continue to help you can continue to help us make these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. We're on YouTube. You know we're over there. I broke down the presidential candidates in, in quite a bit of detail. Then I had that as really good. And then I had that on the, as the podcast as well, uh, running solo. But thankfully, Francesca's back to help me with this one. Um, we're on YouTube. It's the push to 10,000. I know we're, we're quite a bit away. But hey, we're trying to get there. So subscribe there and give us a like, follow all that. That's helpful. And I also want to plug as I will do for the rest of this season at least. I'm co-hosting. It's called The Locker Room on FC Barcelona's official Twitch page, so you can join Anton and I over there the day before every match. That has been in the works for a few months, so I'm excited to, to finally be able to say that, hey, that's that's what's happening. That's what I have going on the day before the match. Um, so, again, we have a new president. We have all this new stuff. Good vibes, Frances. I thought we were pretty positive today. I think we were. Let's just finish it on a downer. I just want to add... I'm sorry, that's it. No? There's no... <laughs> no, no negativity. No, no. All right. All positivity. No. So we want to thank you for I was positive that we had a great show today. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza.